Hello and welcome to the No Longer Be Children podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Meyer, and we are in pursuit of a mature and stable Christian worldview. And I'm excited about this podcast because we're kind of uh, entering into a new era for the podcast, uh, for myself personally, and um, for you guys listening to this podcast. Because I'm no longer on support, um, I just have more freedom to say what I think and to um, and to um, continue working on things that really interest me. So this is kind of um, not something we talk about much, but the reality is when you're a missionary, um, you kind of have to keep a lot of people happy. That's just part of being a missionary because, you know, in my case, I had around 500 people on my mailing list and around uh, 200 people were directly involved in in supporting the mission and supporting me through it. You know, and that was great. And, and if anybody listening was part of that, then thank you so much for um, the great work we were, we were able to do. Um, things happened that wouldn't have happened in, if I wasn't on support. Um, and, and they were good things. Uh, lots of people heard the gospel. Lots of people heard... Um, heard me explaining really difficult things about the Christian faith in a way that made sense to them. And I think that was really crucial, especially at our university ministry, but also in Africa too. Um, some of the, the sermons I preached in churches were really helpful. And I think made a long-term impact. Um, but part of that life is, um, you know, I had Baptist supporters, I had Mennonite supporters, I had Pentecostal supporters, um, I had some Catholic supporters. Um, you kind of stick to the common ground that everybody agrees on. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. Um, there's a term called mere Christianity based off of C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. And, and I kind of stuck to the basics. This is, this is basically what everybody agrees on. But I'm really interested in fixing problems that's just in my DNA and I like to go to a place where people are confused or arguing or <clears throat> or where the story doesn't quite make sense and I want to go there and I want to see if I can fix it and that's the sort of thing that really gives me energy and energizes me and and it's fun like theology is fun when we're fixing problems or when we're when we're debating, I like debate because I think debate gets to the heart of a problem quicker than anything else. Uh, if you just walk up to somebody that believes something and say, I think you're wrong, and the person says, bah, 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 bah. I say, well, I think you're wrong for this reason. Well, right away, that person is going to say, well, no, I'm right for this reason. And well, there you go. Now you got a debate. And it might degenerate into name calling or the person just saying, well, I have a doctorate, so there, blah, blah, blah. Uh, an appeal to authority, but if you have a reasonable person and they have a reasonable debate, pretty quickly you can you can get to the bottom of that and understand it a lot better. Um, both of you can come way stronger from it. So this is what my blog was about before I became a missionary. Um, I had to kind of put that on hold as a missionary, and I was literally told, um, not specifically me, but we took training as missionaries and. Uh, you know, one of our first 
classes was be very very careful what you post on social media um you, you just need to you just can't do it basically um as far as really controversial issues um and now i'm not that and now i can so um and so here we go without further ado here's a long list i'm not sure how many points there are 10 or 20 maybe of uh, controversial issues that i have opinions on I don't believe in six-day creationism. Boom. I just lay that one out there. Um, a lot of Christians believe that the earth is 6,000 years old. Uh, that it was created in six days specifically by the miraculous work of God. Um, there's also a lot of Christians that believe that the earth is very old. As old as they say, whatever it is. Um, I forget what they say. Is it 3.4 million years? And then the, the, the galaxies and universes several trillions of years old, I forget the precise numbers. Um, and some people would believe that, but believe that all life was specifically, specially created by the miraculous work of God. That's old earth creationism. And there's some people that believe that the earth is very old and that God used evolution to create life, uh, but that Adam and Eve were specially created. And then there's some people, some Christians, that believe that God used evolution to create everything, including Adam and Eve. So those are four different positions. Um, I have a podcast where I lay them all out. Um, I call it The Great Creationist Debate. You can go back and listen to it. I don't take a position in that podcast, but I'm going to put my position now. I think I'm an old earth creationist. creationist. I believe in the second option that I just laid out. Um, and my, I have a strong belief that we should lay all four of these options out and let people choose. Uh, if... I were ever to have a Bible school. Basically, I can't be a Bible school teacher because of my convictions on this. And if I had, I was sorely tempted because there were two different schools that wanted me this past year, but it was up to six-day creationism. And I was tempted to compromise on my principles more over this issue <clears throat> than I ever have been over anything else. But finally, I came down and said, look, I got to admit, this is what I believe. I don't believe in six-day creationism. I'm pretty sure old earth creationism works, um, but I might go to evolutionary creationism. And, you know, I, I'm i okay with being kind of up in the air because it's not my area of expertise. I'm not a, hist I'm not a paleontologist or a um, geologist or, a, you know, I don't have those special skills in science to really know what I'm talking about. And I'm no, also not a Hebrew scholar. So, like, this is kind of outside of my area of expertise, but I'm comfortable with these positions. I've researched them enough to know you can be a good Christian and be in one of these four positions. So were I to be a Bible school teacher, what I would do is lay them out equally, as equally as I can, and say, choose. Um, now, that being said, um, the one position, I started this off by saying I don't believe in 6 creationism. That one seems the least plausible to me. And maybe in the future I'll have a podcast on why I don't find it plausible. Um, I also um, I also find that the way that some sixty creationists carry themselves and present their message is very unhelpful, and I find it especially unhelpful to young Christians, to teenagers and young adults. And I've worked with a lot of them, 
And a lot of them were told, if you don't believe in six-day creationism, you're not a Christian anymore. And then they say, thanks, Dad. Um, now, um, and thanks also for giving me a great education. Lots of them are homeschooled. They go off and they want to be an engineer or they want to be um, a biologist or they want to be... A lot of them have entered... A lot of my students that I work with at the ca campus ministry were entering kind of the hard sciences. Um, the, what do they call them? STEM sciences. And, you know, they're taught to think rationally. They're taught um, certain debating skills in, in how, how to think. And um, they're taught certain facts about the world. And very quickly, it becomes apparent that the way that they were presented, six-day creationism, um, has logical flaws. I'm, I'm just going to say that. The way that Ken Ham argues his case, the way that Kent Hovind argues his case, very often relies on ad hominem attacks, appeals to authority, um, and, all, and a number of other logical fallacies. And if you want to challenge me on that, then go ahead, and I'll go do some digging and I'll prove it. But a lot of my students come to me and say, look, like this is how I was raised, but like this isn't good thinking. They're saying, like it, a lot of the argument comes down to pounding your fist onto a table and saying, look, good Christians believe this. Good Christians believe in six-day creationism. If you want to be a good Christian, you need to believe this. If you don't believe this, then you're not a good Christian, or you're perhaps not even a Christian. That's not a way to pursue truth. We need to, be, we need to examine the issues. And I think that um, both from the side of interpreting scriptures and from the side of interpreting nature and the world, uh, Six-day creationism is probably not the best, um, the best conclusion. There's there's other ways of reading it. There's other ways of studying it. So that's my unpopular belief number one. I don't believe in eternal security. Um, I don't also don't believe in eternal insecurity, as some detractors call it. Um, I also don't believe in Calvinism. <laughs> so there's pretty much. Nobody that I haven't defended, except maybe I'll say I also don't believe in dispensationalism, but we'll get to that in a second. So I believe in something called um, middle knowledge. And what this means is that uh, God has knowledge outside of time about everything that will happen and everything that could have happened. This And this could have happened is what's called middle knowledge. And this is a way of understanding how God's sovereignty and our free will can fit together because as we're living our lives, we're making free will decisions. But God had to make decisions about us before we were even born. And scriptures say that he made decisions about us before we were even born. Um, and scriptures say that we were chosen before we were even born to be whether we were saved or not, which is where Calvinism comes in. And some other scriptures say that we can never lose our salvation, which is where Calvinism comes in. So, the, But then we also seem to have free will. So how can it be that God made all these decisions before we were even born, and yet we have free will? And the way that that fits together for me is middle knowledge. And I have podcasts, some of the first podcasts on my podcast are on middle knowledge, so you can go back and listen to that. But it doesn't fall neatly into the categories of like Calvinism or eternal security or dispensationalism. Um, I don't think anybody should feel insecure in their salvation. If you're saved, um, like I don't feel insecure. 
Now, if you're a Christian and you're living in sin, then you should feel insecure. And I think all Christians agree on that. It's just some Christians will say, maybe you were never saved. And some Christians will say, you might lose your salvation. And I might say, I'm not really sure. But if you're going to claim to be a Christian, you need to try. You need to get up and try. You, you can't just be living in sin. If you're living in sin, uh, the scriptures are very clear that you're not going to heaven. Uh, if you're repenting and coming back to the sin and repenting and repenting, then um, you know God promises to forgive you every time that you repent. But if you stop repenting and just say, well, whatever, God forgives me, um, you should be afraid. Uh, you should be worried. People around you should be worried that you are not a Christian. Because being a Christian is not about um, an excuse for living the life that you want to live. It's about pursuing holiness and a God that meets us in our, in our weakness and forgives us for our frail attempts. Um, but we come to him in repentance over and over in repentance. So anyways, you can listen more about that in, in previous podcasts, but I don't believe in internal security. I don't think that once you say a prayer at a Bible, at a Bible camp or whatever, you can do whatever you want the rest of your life and still go to heaven. I, I don't see that in scriptures at all. I'm a pacifist, um, but not a very good one. So in those two words, in those two statements have probably offended just about everybody or at offended or people don't agree with me because some people are pacifists but if you're a pacifist then at least in my experience of Mennonites a lot of the discussion focuses on are you a good pacifist are you a good Mennonite and I'm not a good Mennonite or a good pacifist um, and uh, it's not written on here but the thing that really messed me up, because I used to be more black and white about things, and then I went to Africa, and the the reason people are pacifists, the reason Christians are pacifists, there's other pacifists in the world that have other reasons, but Christians are pacifists because Jesus said, turn the other cheek. If someone sues you for your coat, give him your jacket as well. If somebody forces you to walk one mile, walk two miles with them. And there's other things there's other reasons attached to that, but it's basically looking at the Sermon on the Mount and following it, trying our best to live out the Sermon on the Mount. And I do try my best to live out the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus also said, give to the one that asks of you and don't turn away from, from beggars, basically. And Jesus would have had beggars in his day. But I went to Africa and the streets were lined with beggars. And everybody told me, don't give to beggars. That was part of our training. It was what the African people, our African brothers said when we were there. Give to the church. The church will distribute because the church knows what's going on. The church can give to the widow, to the real needy people. But people make a business out of looking like they need help when they don't. Or else forcing children to be in a desperate position so that they can beg for money. And it, it ends up hurting people. So don't give to beggars. And it was heartbreaking to not give to beggars. And it was also heartbreaking when uh, in some situations I became pretty good friends with, with people, um, house, people that I hired to help around the house and got to know them. And then, then they started asking for money and 
the the requests got more and more pointed and got more and more the numbers got higher and higher and more and more ridiculous and the stories got more and more ridiculous and at one point i was being asked for several hundred dollars um, and then it was going to be a monthly thing that i'd be giving hundreds of dollars a month for this person that supposedly was sick and so i requested through the mission kind of fact checked this guy because i had been back in canada by this point and said there he's not sick and he has job security he he shouldn't be asking for anything for like if he's sick, he, he has a job that would pay for it. All this to say, um, I don't follow Jesus' teaching on this, uh, and I don't know what to do about that. Uh, people ask me for, people have asked me for money, and I've said no, because I didn't think that it was good for them. I didn't think it was good for society. Uh, there's, a, there's a book called uh, when, Her- when Helping Hurts, And I read that book and I've experienced that book because I have given to people and seen it hurt their lives in potentially long-lasting ways. Um, I don't think it's right to go overseas and just give, 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 give. Um, And so that makes it hard for me to live out the Sermon on the Mount, literally. I can't literally live out the Sermon on the Mount because I don't think it's right to give to anybody that asks all the time. And I don't think that most Mennonites and most pacifists actually believe this. If you ask a Mennonite for money, they might have a struggle of conscience, but they'll likely say no um, because they're they're Westerners. Um, they might say yes, I don't know. Um, but it's not an ethical dilemma that comes up much in the West, but when you go overseas, it comes up very quickly. So this got me rethinking my stance. And I still believe that the best way to solve a solution is to pacify it through um, non-aggression. This, is, this was the stance of Martin Luther King Jr. This was the stance of Gandhi. This was the stance, you know, with some caveats, uh, of Nelson Mandela towards the end of his life. Nonviolence works in a lot of situations, and it doesn't have as many downsides as resolving a conflict through violence. Uh, that being said, I would definitely call the cops if you broke into my home, and I might punch you out if you try and touch one of my kids. I might not retaliate if you hit me, but I would take you to court, and you can be sure I get a restraining order against you if you did something wrong or if I had good reason to believe that you did that you intended harm against me. I could not in good conscience join a war or kill people because I don't believe I could pull a trigger and say, right now you go to hell. Um, I just would have a very hard time with ending that choice for somebody. I also believe that people are made in the image of God and I believe that um, there is something incredibly powerful about killing another human being that um, would leave a mark on my soul that I'm not sure I could live with. I understand that other people um, have made that choice and are living with that. And I understand the sacrifice that they're making. And they're my heroes as far as I'm concerned because it's a tremendous sacrifice um, to decide that you're willing to do that. 
um, for for the sake of your country and for the sake of me, literally. Um, I'm not in favor of wars in general, but I do believe there's a time to support a just war. I would pray for a just war. I would help it in a nonviolent way. I've thought of being a chaplain if there was a war going on. Uh, I could see myself becoming a medic. I could see myself helping in other nonviolent ways. I just don't personally think I could kill somebody. I can definitely respect and appreciate those who participate in wars. Uh, soldiers, policemen, and women are my heroes, but I don't ever think I could serve as one. I vote and believe Christians can run for office. I believe I could run for office, even though this would mean ordering troops to war. So there's a lot of conflicts in that, in that paragraph. Um, I believe that every Christian who every Christian has conflicts when it comes to war. And if they don't think they have conflicts, it's because they haven't thought carefully enough about the subject. Perhaps they haven't read carefully enough the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I'm aware of my conflicts. I'm not saying I'm, I'm not saying I'm better than anybody. Uh, I definitely feel who cares about comparing to other people? That was a unnecessary rabbit trail. These are my beliefs. This is the conflict I live with. And if you want to challenge me on any of these things, then go ahead and we'll have a discussion about it. I actually, the reason I'm laying these things out is I'd like to have discussions. I used to have discussions all the time on my blog and it, it helped me refine my thoughts. So if something sparks your interest, then, then write me a Facebook message or a Twitter or something respectfully. Say I disagree for these reasons. And maybe I'll disagree with you there or maybe I'll, write a, I'll do a podcast on it and be interesting. I do not believe that the current nation-state of Israel is God's special people in exactly the same way that Israel was in the Old Testament. I believe that saved Jews are the true Israel. Only the saved Jews are the true Israel. I think that's pretty clear scripturally. The unsaved Jews are not. I also believe that saved Gentiles, myself, are also the true Israel. I do not believe that unsaved Jews are the true Israel. I understand that dispensationalists will call me a replacement theologian or call this replacement theology. I'm cool with that. I don't, I don't see... There does seem to be a blessing on the nation of Israel, but it's, it's a different thing from, from salvation and being the people of God. And it does seem like the blessing on Israel has a lot to do with Western democracy and following Western ideals. And that does make a nation prosperous. And that is because Western ideals are in part based on scriptures, but they're not entirely based on scriptures. There's a lot about Westernism that comes from the ancient Greek way of thinking and from Athens. Um, so I don't think I don't think that we can can say everything Israel is doing is is godly. I don't think that there's a special blessing, particularly on the nation of Israel. Um, but maybe I'll talk more about that when I get to Islam, which I'm going to do in a second here. I don't believe in the rapture. I believe that uh, Jesus is coming back, but uh, there's going to be a time of tribulation, and Jesus is going to come back at the end of it. And I come to that conclusion because I don't see a rapture in Revelation, in the book of Revelation. I don't see a specific rapture prophesied in any of the books of prophecy. And the places that mention Jesus coming back 
1 Corinthians 15, and 1 and 2 Thessalonians especially, um, could be read just as easily, in fact, they're read more easily as a single return. Jesus comes back one time, right when we especially needed him, right when things were at their worst. That's when Jesus comes back. Um, when Christians are being persecuted, when, when everything is falling apart, when the world is going through terrible tribulation, lift up your head. That's when Jesus is coming back. Uh, and I find the rapture to be an extremely um, tortuous doctrine when you try and prove it. Most people don't prove it because they were just raised with it, and it's just one of the foundational cornerstone beliefs of their faith. But when you try and actually... You know, I was in youth group just down the road here, and this is just what we were taught. We were, you know, entertainment at our church was, hey, let's watch an end times video about people being decapitated and running down tunnels, being chased by dogs. And, you know, it was like, why why are you showing this to 13-year-old kids? This is like an R-rated movie, all about the end times and the rapture. And and at, at one point, because it's just kind of the kid I was, I said, well, how can we know that this and this happens. And my youth group leader had no idea. He just, this is what I've been taught, you know. And that started me questioning, and I just, I didn't have an axe to, I didn't have an axe to grind, but I was reading the Bible for myself. I was investigating things, and I just did not see proof for it. And I still haven't seen any proof for it. And, I mean, eschatology is not my favorite subject. I think it's it's just... I know Jesus is coming back sometime. I, I really don't care whether it's pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, amillennial. Amillennial seems, amillennialism does seem to change a few things, but in general, it doesn't seem like eschatology is worth a whole lot of time. So, you know, if you have strong beliefs about the rapture, go ahead and text me. I may not want to debate it. We'll see how I feel that particular day. Um... I think that Christians have spilled far too much ink over this issue in the last hundred years. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, um, I don't believe in the rapture. And I think that Jesus, when he comes back, it will be after the worst time in human history. It will be exactly the time that, that we need him the most. All right, getting to some biggies here. I do not believe that Islam is a religion of peace. The Quran is written historically throughout the life of Muhammad. At the beginning of his life, he wrote peaceful and amicable words. Towards the end, he wrote his more violent and intolerant portions. According to Muslim theology, and this is the, the doctrine of abrogation, if you want to search that, the doctrine of abrogation, anything written later overwrites anything written earlier. This means that the intolerant portions that Muhammad wrote at the end of his life about um, killing, seeking out the infidels and killing them where they are, cutting off the right arm, the left leg, um, forcing uh, Christians to pay a tax if they're going to continue in their beliefs. These portions were written towards the end of his life, and they overwrite verses at the beginning that talk about he who kills a person, it's as though he's killed the whole human race, and talk about all religions being the same and brotherly love and all that sort of stuff. This means that fundamentalist Islam is um, is true Islam. It's it's the one that's most faithful to the Quran, while <clears throat> moderate Islam is liberalism. 
So Christianity and Islam have have both have extremists. There's Christians that blow up buildings. There's Christians that that kill people and are crazy, and there's Muslims that that blow up buildings and kill people and are crazy. And then there's a bunch of Christians that are moderate and kind and just want to live their life. And there's a bunch of of Muslims that are just moderate and kind, just want to live their life. But according to my research, it's not just my belief; it's my research and my my reasoned conviction. The two are switched. Where for Christians, if you're going to study the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to study basic fundamental Christian teaching. Yes, there's violence in the Old Testament, but we believe in the in the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus said, "My kingdom is not of this world; otherwise, my people would fight." And He said, "You know, put away your sword, Peter, because those who live by the sword will die by the sword." And again, like if somebody strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. This is why pacifism has always been a major part of Christianity and always will be. And any time that the Bible is read, there will always be crazy pacifists running around saying, I'm not sure how to square this with my life, but I can't participate in wars. I can't kill people because this is what Jesus says. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. I don't know how society is supposed to function if we don't fight, but I, out of conscience, I have to follow this. And as long as the Quran is disseminated, there will be people, fortunately it's going to be a minority, but there will always be people that say, well, I'm just reading this, and it seems like I should go kill people in the name of Allah. Because that's what it says. And if you don't believe me, then read it. And I don't think I'm being intolerant in saying that. I think I'm just stating the truth. Now that being said, I don't believe that all Muslims are terrorists. And as I did say the vast majority of Muslims and the vast majority of Christians just want to live their lives. And we are all made in the image of God. We have consciences. Um, we have essential worth and dignity as human beings. Um, and most of the time, Muslims are really decent, good people. And I know a lot of Muslims, and they're decent, good people. Um, the Muslim, in addition to just being human beings, and most de most human beings are decent, good people. Um, that's my belief on the matter. Um, but Islam does teach a certain way of life that is especially orderly and uh, ethical. Uh, the Muslim way of life is very orderly, very clean, very respectful. Some of the best people in the world are Muslims. And the very great majority of Muslims are peaceful Muslims. Muslims send aid, help in disasters. Muslims take care of beggars and those in need in their own countries. Muslims are in general better than non-Muslims at living ethical lives. It's a simple fact that in strongly Muslim countries, there are little to no public bars, brothels, or gambling houses. Personally, many Muslims that I know are great people that I would love to have as co-workers and friends. So, when I see Christians posting basically xenophobic things on Facebook, um, I do respond to that at times, and I do say that's not correct. It's not right to say, well, Muslims are immigrating to our country, therefore we're going to have more rape, we're going to have more organized crime, we're going to have, you know, they're, they're going to bring over these things like a disease. Well, they are humans, they are sinful, there might be some of these issues, but... Um, in my experience, personally speaking, most Muslims are great people, and um, I don't I don't think it's right to assume that just because you see a turban 
um, there's a criminal there. And that's, that's, that's xenophobic thought. Xenophobia is, is the belief that anybody that isn't, for, isn't from us is evil. So this is how we, this is how people in this country once thought of like the Irish immigrating or um, the Italians. All the Italians are all criminals. Um, this sort of thought is not good. But neither will I go to the other side because this is how the debates often go. One person says something that's ridiculous on one side, that's, that's wrong on one side. And then other people say, well, Christians are just the same. And Christianity and Islam are not the same religion. They just simply are not. And if somebody tells you that Christianity and Islam are the same religion, it's because they clearly don't know anything about either religion. Um, and the fundamental thing, other than what I just said about um, fundamentalist Islam, th there is violence in the Quran that is written into the DNA of the Quran that runs like a thread throughout the Quran. You can't avoid it. And liberal Muslims try and avoid it, but they can't quite write it out of the religion because it's in the Quran. It's, it's in, it's deep. The other thing that, that Christians need to understand is that Christianity is fairly unique. Well, thinking as I'm speaking here, it would be similar to Buddhism also, but it is different than Islam in that there's a separation between church and state. Again, some of the verses I talked about, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this earth. If it were, my people would fight. Um, the kingdom of earth is among you right now. You know, and people wanted Jesus to be a ruler and to fight to establish a kingdom. And Jesus said, no, the kingdom is, is something spiritual. Whereas for Muslims and for Jews and for many Hindus um, and for many other religions in the world, religion and state are one. And this is something that Christians don't understand about Islam and that they need to understand is that Islam was founded as a religion that was a state, and the state was meant to grow. And if the state can't grow, this is how it functions. This is how the religion functions. This is how it has functioned for thousands of years. For, well, not thousands, but 1,300 years. Um, when they have power, enough power, then they might use military force to conquer. When they don't have enough power, then they use other means to increase their influence and to increase the spread of Islam and to increase not just the ideas and the religion of Islam, such that Christians would do, but also to make sure that um, Islam has more power and more influence and more control. So when Christian, when people are noticing, hey, why is it that in, in Canada that Islamophobia Words spoken against Islam gets its own law, but the rest of the religions are all grouped into hate speech. But there's a special law only for Islam. Why is that? Or we might notice that, um, like in prisons, for example, Muslims are demanding we need to have our halal food. Why is it that some prisoners get special food and others do not? Well, that perhaps is not such a good example I realize somebody proposed that example to me, but there's probably a lot of people in, in prisons that get special food. But there will always be... Why is it that the United Nations 
right now, um, the seat at the head is, uh, or, or the, the head of the ethics committee is Saudi Arabia. Why, why is that? Um, Islam will always push to have political power, to have political authority, to have more influence. And this is something that Christians don't notice because it's not in our DNA to push that way. We want to, we, we're interested more in souls. Now, we do sometimes have this tendency, but it's not part of our central DNA. So, um, I think we need to be aware of how that religion works. Because um, there have been many countries that have been caught unaware, and before they know it, they are living under the influence and the power and the control of Islam. Even though the country might still be technically a secular state, you can't say what you want about Islam. You can't write what you want. You certainly can't make cartoons. You have to watch, you know, where you go at certain times of the day. You know, like all of a sudden you wake up and you realize that there's a lot of control that nobody signed up for it was just this gradual creep and that's you just need to look historically and you understand this is just how the religion works and it's not even that individual people are devious and scheming it's how the religion is designed it's how the religion works so they're not bad people it's not um it's not fair to call individual people bad but we just need to understand that, like we have this tendency because we understand our religion and we don't understand other religions as well. We have this tendency to say, well, everything is basically like Christianity and that's just lazy and that's just sloppy and it's just not true. Islam is different and it's different in specific ways. A lot of um, moderate Muslims that come out of extremist countries to our country will sometimes have this message of saying, if we believe in freedom of religion, we need to be careful and we need to put limits on Islam because Islam will just creep and creep and creep until there's no more freedoms for other people. And if we believe in freedom of religion, then we need to just be careful um, that things like Islamic hate speech, well, nobody wants, everybody, pretty much everybody's against hate speech. We don't want anybody saying something hateful or something that could incite violence. But who defines what hate speech is? Could this podcast be hate speech? All that I've said is historical facts. Yeah, but it might make somebody mad. You know, in some countries, this wouldn't be allowed, what I've just said. I could... Part of why I haven't been able to speak on this is because I was living in countries where such a, things weren't allowed and it could lead to violence against myself. So we need to be aware of this. And I don't think it does anybody, anybody any favors to um, be blind to the true nature of Islam. Now along with that, I believe that the Crusades were a defensive war. There's a lot of misunderstanding about what the Crusades were. I do know a fair bit about the Crusades um, through my studies and through some research that I've done, at least initially, the Crusades fit. The reason I bring up Crusades is because people will often say, well, Christianity is just as violent as Islam. Look at the Crusades. 
The Crusades were a defensive war. At least initially, they fit all the criteria of a just war. They were only begun after centuries of Muslim-initiated wars. This was, again, this was a time when Islam was a nation-state, when it was advancing through violence. Um, it was um, capturing nations that were part of Christian nation-states um, and uh, selling Christians off as slaves, um, killing them, forcing them to pay taxes, uh, the special Christian tax, um, but just conquering nation after nation after nation. Uh, the Crusades were only started after um, several hundred years of Muslim incursion into what was formerly the Holy Roman Empire. After repeated requests for aid from the Eastern Church, so at this time, um, the Eastern and Western portions of the Roman Empire had split in two. This was a historic division between um, the power centers in Constantinople and the power centers in Rome. And they were divided historically, geographically, it just became hard to travel after the fall of Rome. But then theologically, they split at around um, 1050 AD. And it was the Eastern Church that was getting hammered by Islam. And they kept asking the Western Church for help. And the Western Church initially was like, well, we don't care about you because you're barely even Christians anymore. We just had this messy split, whatever. But after being asked again and again and again and again, they finally said, okay, let's go and help them. Um, by this time, two-thirds of the f formerly Holy Roman Empire were, was conquered. And those lands were never reconquered. Uh, those are places like North Africa, Turkey. Um, those places are still Muslim-dominated. Um, and so initially it was a just war. Bad things happened during this war. But initially it met the criteria of a just war. Uh, it was retaliatory. It was um, had some, some um, hope of success. It was engaged upon for a just reason, etc. It fit the criteria of a just war. Virtually all of the land conquered by Crusades fell back into Muslims' hands and has remained there to this day, with the exception of Israel. The Crusades failed to take back the land. However, they succeeded in ending the Muslim invasion of the known world. Saying that the, that the Crusades were initially just wars does not mean that they were ethical. So, like, I avoid black and white thinking. You've probably picked that up. Um, I'm not saying that the Crusades were all good. I'm just saying they weren't all bad. So, saying that the Crusades were initially just wars does not mean that they were ethical. No war is ethical. And some especially sinful things were done in the name of religion at that time, such as the Crusaders marched over to Constantinople to deliver it and to rescue it, and they sacked the city, and they plundered it, and they did irreparable damage to some of the art and architecture. Well, that was stupid. That wasn't part of the plan. Um, and then um, there's terrible stories about what happened when they actually got to Jerusalem and, and how they um, wiped out Muslim, Christian, and Jew alike, uh, although there were, probably weren't very many Jews living there at the time. Um, as well, there's stories of isolated cases of cannibalism and um, terrible things. There was the Children's Crusade where they sent a bunch of kids and 
Anyways, there's a lot of really bad things that happened. I'm not saying that the Crusades were a good thing, and I am saying that the Crusades were not. It doesn't fit with what Jesus taught. It doesn't fit with the essence of Christianity. In fact, this was Christianity acting like Islam, really, if, if you want me to say something really politically incorrect. It was Christianity acting like Islam, saying, if you fight, you're going to heaven. If you can't fight, then send somebody in your place, and then for sure you'll go to heaven. And this is a just war, and we care more about land than we care about souls. We care more about political power than we care about human lives. Um, this is not how the Christian religion is supposed to function. This is not the teaching of Jesus. And this is why Christians have always repented of their crusades. At the time, there were people that were not comfortable with the crusades. And ever since, there's been a growing unease. And today we have a strong sense that this was not right. This shouldn't have happened. And I have that sense. I don't think they should have happened. But they were a just war. And if they hadn't have happened, then history would have been very, very different. Um, Islam likely would have taken over the whole known world. Uh, and so this is part of the conflict that I feel regarding pacifism, is I don't believe in wars. I couldn't fight in a war. I don't believe it's part of Jesus' teaching. And yet, if certain just wars aren't fought, um, then it's hard to see how justice can prevail in this world. Furthermore, much of the negative transformations in Christianity, okay, actually, in fact, the Crusades fundamentally changed the way the Christian, that the Christian religion works in a very bad way. Much of the, the transformations in Christianity, which are blamed on Constantine, who lived around 380 to 400, really happened during the Crusade era, around 1100 up to 1400. Some of the, these bad habits were unlearned during the Reformation, around 1600, but some persist to this day, especially in American Republican evangelical gun culture. Da -da um, something I didn't mention in pacifism is that much as I'm back and forth, back and forth, and there's ambiguity and gray and stuff, something I really react against is Christians that are so focused on their rights and on their guns and on their right to take their gun and blow you away if you step on their property. That, to me, just really does not sound like Jesus. And it does seem like there's a place to defend yourself and to defend vulnerable people. But I don't get this obsession with having 40 AK-747s in your basement that you're going to take out and, and blow people away with. I just don't get it. I don't see how you get from there to there. And to me, it seems as though the Crusades had a fundamental change in Christianity, caused a fundamental change. This was a time when violence was needed to defend the borders of, of countries that had become Christian. And some of those bad habits have not been unlearned, and I do think they're bad habits. I don't think it's part of true Christianity. There might be a time for war, but I don't think it should ever be a war in the name of religion. I think it should be a war in the name of, um, of justice and of defending our just nation state. Um, all right. So, um, I'm getting up on 47 minutes. I think people are going to start waking up in my home pretty soon and uh, rudely interrupting me <laughs> with their wonderful presence. Not rudely. Um, 
So I think I'm going to tie it off here. I think that's enough controversy for one day. And um, if you want to uh, discuss with me, then for sure look me up on uh, on my blog or Twitter or something like that. And if not, then just enjoy this. And uh, these are my my thoughts. I'm hoping to elaborate more on them in the future. Maybe we'll have some guests on to talk about different things as well. And actually, uh, before I go, I'll mention that uh, for this post, I have it written out in, in kind of point form, and I'm going to put it on my blog. My blog is no longer nolongerbechildren.wordpress.com. And so you can go and read it more specifically. And if you are interested in engaging with me on one of these points, then you can have it written out what I believe kind of more concisely, and you can you can debate me, and that'd be fun. I, I welcome discussion and, and amical debate on any of these topics. In fact, that's why I'm putting them out there. And, um, you know, even if you want to do an interview, we could do a Skype call and I could debate. I mean, we could discuss these things and it would be fun. So um, this is Josiah Meyer for the No Longer Be Children podcast, and I hope that you all have a wonderful day. Goodbye.